welcome to Leadership Daily, where together we answer what's next for the future of leadership. Hi, everybody. Kyle Denton here, your host, along with Nicole Taylor. Nicole, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks, Kyle. How are you doing? (laughs) I work in technology, but I don't actually know how to use it. I learn constantly every single day. I swear Uh, it can be a challenge sometimes because it also changes faster than I think any of us can learn how to use it, Um, which that actually takes us, I think, to a great topic, uh, your specialty, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, right? And uh, you have, tell us a little bit about yourself just to start, just to recap. I know you've been on before and your regular co-host spot. So uh, just to recap, Nicole, who is Yeah, Nicole? so I'm a, I'm a diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility program manager um, for an organization of about 15,000 people. Um, we have... Uh, a couple different detachments too, one that's international and um, we're about a $2.2 billion annual uh, company. So large company, we have some experience as far as diversity, equity, inclusion and how to implement that in a strategic way. And so really that's what I want to talk about. I think there's a lot of great information out there um, that you can access on what diversity, equity, inclusion is, but as far as like how to really apply it and get down into the details, um, as far as your business, I think that that's something that we can always use more help and collaboration with. And I really want to, in these first couple episodes, kind of set a foundation uh, for what diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility is and how it applies to the business so that you can have a good understanding to create a strategy moving forward. And kind of like you said, with technology, um, DEINA is also constantly changing. So it's something that you know, even though I have a certification and I've been in it for um, a few years, it, there's constant information I'm, I'm constantly learning as well. So it's a great thing to bring guests in and talk about and, and learn all the time. Nice. And you mentioned it on the last episode we did together, but I'm curious, why is it important to be strategic or to look at this? Like, what if what if I don't have a diversity business? Why does it matter to me as a business owner or an educator or a government um, leader? I mean, what what's the what's the big deal? Well, that's a great question. That's actually exactly what we're going to be talking about. So last time we talked about kind of the definitions, what is diversity, equity, and inclusion? Because truthfully, right now, it can be a very politically divisive conversation. Um, A lot of these topics have become politicized. And so we want to kind of go back to the roots of why did this become a business strategy? Uh, Why do we see it in industry? Just like you said, Um, most people are not in the business of diversity. Um, so why did it become a strategy? Okay. And there's several different parts to it. So we'll just start with, um, let's start with recruitment. Okay. Uh, so there's several different parts. Let me just overview real quick here for our, our listeners. It directly impacts your mission 
or your bottom line by impacting your recruitment, uh, your retention of employees, the culture that you have in your environment, and also innovation. And there's several other things that impacts, but I think those are the top four that we kind of want to focus on today. So let's start with recruitment, um, because I think that that's a big one, especially right now in our current um our current place in our nation where a lot of businesses are um, experiencing shortfalls in, in their employees. Um, so let's talk about why diversity recruitment is important. Um, in the past, a lot of the business case has focused on um, hiring a diverse workforce because it's the right thing to do, right? Obviously, we don't want to discriminate against anyone. We have civil rights laws. Um, so we focused on the moral case um, for diversity recruitment. However, really, there's a hard business case as well, and it affects your bottom line. And really what it comes down to is we want to increase the talent pool so that we can truly hire the best possible candidate. So a lot of times when people hear diversity recruitment, they think that they think of affirmative action they think that we're lowering standards to bring in underrepresented groups. Um, and that couldn't be further from the case. Okay. Representation and diversity does play a part in it. Again, it is morally something that we should care about as a society. But as far as business, it's really about getting the biggest pool of talent so that we can make the best decision. Okay. Seems pretty important. Impactful. And, you know, I, I don't think I've thought about it before, before in that way. It's just how can you like hiring can be hard. Like the last position I, I just hired for was 890 pages of resumes. I think it was, um, whew, it was, it was rough and 90% of them read the exact same. I mean, it was very tough. Right. So we already know that, I mean, it's already difficult to make a really effective hiring process, especially if you have some uh, constraints, like maybe you're in the government or you have certain rules and regulations that you have to follow. And obviously I'm not talking about non uh, things that stop you from discrimination, but I just mean that um, with some of the systems we have, it can either make it easier or harder. But again, we really want the biggest pool of candidates, right? So that we can get the best qualified person for the job. And we know that the more competition there is, the better chance we have of getting someone that's really qualified. Um, so we kind of need to think about it in a way and like outside industry does this really well, that sometimes uh, nonprofits and government organizations don't do as well. And that's um, marketing. So we know, we know that outside marketing, like when someone's trying to market for a product, they market different key messages to different people, right? And so we don't always take that same approach when we're marketing our organization or marketing, like, let's say on, you know, USA Jobs, if you're a government organization, um, we typically kind of come up with, with one message and then put that out there. And sometimes we don't look at who is that attracting. And a lot of times it depends on what does your workforce look like. Typically, the representation that you have in those recruiting teams often shows up in the kind of messages you have. Hmm. So there, 
there's a lot of research that shows that even certain words that we use uh, when it comes to what we write in job announcements can um, flag certain people or be more attractive to certain people or demographics as, as opposed to others. Um, so for instance, if you are using more male language, for instance, you know, assertive, dominant, uh, some kind of leadership words that typically are also associated with masculine qualities, then potentially um, a woman or somebody that doesn't relate with those qualities could be looking through that and automatically kind of think, well, this doesn't sound like it's a good fit for me. Oh, wow. Never even thought about that. Like, yeah. Huh. Okay. That's fascinating. So I, I'm, I'm curious. And if I'm jumping ahead, just let me know, like, how do, how does that play into, you mentioned retention. So I can see how that does the recruitment piece, but how do you help retain people? You've already hired them, right? Right. So what's the big deal with that? Okay. So retention then, um, a lot of companies focus on recruitment when they think mm -hmm. of diversity and they think, oh, they look at their, their representation, right? And let's just talk about representation real quick for a second. Um, representation is important because if we had a completely fair and equitable system, we would assume statistically that when we look at our nation as a whole, we would see approximately an even distribution of whatever the uh, population is also distributed throughout our organizations, right? Um, we know that, you know, women aren't smarter than men or people of color less smart. Like we know that that doesn't really impact um, your ability to do the job. So we would expect to see fair representation in all organizations and across all the levels. So when we don't see that, uh, then we start to look at what are the barriers, um, so again, we're not necessarily talking about affirmative action and quotas and bringing people in. We're just saying, are there certain barriers that impact one group over another? So when I talk about re representation, uh, that is that is what we're talking about, making sure that we're not discriminating against a particular group. Okay, so then when it comes to retention, again, we want the best qualified candidate, right? And so retention from a diversity and inclusion um, equity and accessibility perspective is looking at your processes and systems within your corporation and saying, okay, we've now recruited this diverse talent. Do we have systems in place to keep them? Okay. And that's really the focus. And so again, these are not things that um, only impact underrepresented groups. When we focus on retention of our uh, minority groups are our underrepresented groups. It improves the culture in the workforce for everybody. Oh, that's a so we're, we're going to be looking at like how we onboard people, how we develop them, uh, the leadership opportunities that we're giving people, the um, engagement, what opportunities do they have for engagement? How are we connecting them to the rest of the workforce and making them feel like they're part of a team and a family? We're looking at it from a holistic perspective instead of just trying to get people in the door and then saying, okay, check the box, we're done. We're seeing, can we keep them? Are they going to stay? <laughs> okay. So I, I, I can start to see how that leads to like culture when you're trying to promote the best, hire the best, retain the best. And then, so I guess here's the thing. What if 
is everybody part of the best? I mean, what, how does that all play out with the, the culture and retention? I'm, I'm kind of curious. Um, what if this is new for your organization? I guess what's the strategy that kind of goes into that? Like, are there people who you push out? I guess I'm just all the what ifs going through my head right. here that I'm sure a lot of people think of. How does that play out? Yeah, so that's uh, that's actually a really good question because I think a lot of people have that. Um, again, depending on where you're at and the demographics of your area, um, you might have a different majority um, in your workplace than than other places, right? Mm -hmm. So typically, when you have a majority in your organization, depending on how much you're surveying the people, how big you are, how much you're able to get um, a good handle on the things that are bothering your people, the barriers to them, how to improve the workforce. Typically, especially with large organizations, we um, compile and analyze the data in such a way that we're looking at that majority, right? Because that's just common sense. How do we, how do we make the biggest impact on this group of people? And so you typically look at what does the average person say that they want or need? Um, and so a lot of times, uh, again, depending on your demographics. Uh, those underrepresented groups can kind of get left out in, um, in, in, in really focusing on what the barriers are that impact them. Um, and so that's part of my job as a diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility program manager. But here's how it impacts everybody, okay? So a great example would be uh, we know that if we want more women in the workforce, um, that we have to have more uh, policies that allow for work-life flexibility. And that's because currently in our culture, uh, women still have the brunt of child raising and housework um, between a husband and wife. So uh, if we're not supporting women, then it's going to be harder for them to not only be part of the workforce, but also move up into leadership positions. And again, if our goal is to really find the best qualified candidates, then we need to make sure that we're supporting everyone so that they can thrive at work. So an example would be, again, that makes something better for everyone, is uh, to make sure that we have good policies that allow our parents to take maternity and paternity leave um, or, you know, adoptive leave if they're, if they're adopting a child, uh, that allows them to, you know, strong, form strong bonds and take care of their child, uh, early on. So we know that if we just focus on helping women have better maternity, it doesn't actually change the overall culture and it can actually lead to women kind of being discriminated against in the workforce. Because think about if you're like a hiring manager, and I'm not saying that people would do this intentionally, but you might be thinking like, oh, you know, I need this person here. Oh, this woman, she's pregnant or she told me she's pregnant or she told me she has kids. Unconsciously, you might think she's going to be gone more. But if it's something that you're focused on for both men and women, parents in general, where you understand that this is part of being a human being is that a lot, majority of us uh, are going to, you know, have kids and that's going to be something that's important to our lives um, and our society in general. And we make it so that it's okay for men and women to take 
maternity and paternity leave, then it changes the culture overall. And it's something that's more acceptable. It's something that we make policies around. And here's the key. Our businesses um, and our leadership, they are smart. And when we have a problem, we figure out ways to adapt to it and to still perform. And so that's the key with some of these barriers is um, instead of looking at at it as a problem that only affects maybe a, a minority of the workforce, we have to look at it as something that impacts everyone and, and go to resolve it. Does that make sense, that uh, yeah. that example? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it kind of clicks now, too, because, I mean, the the federal government, for example, now has paid, what is it, 12 weeks? Maternity, paternity leave, right? For right. Um, adoptions and new children. Which is very exciting. Okay. That's, so uh, the key, though, is we can't only focus on women being able to take that. We have to make it okay for both men and women. Because again, we in most organizations, in most, um, uh, I was, I was going to say classifications because that's the government, but in most uh, jobs, uh, we have a majority of men in the workforce. So again, we have to really support them as well. Uh, it's not just supporting women, but when we do it, it positively impacts both of them. Wow. Yeah. That, uh, that it clicks now that example. So, I mean, um, I can kind of see where this starts, the changing the culture. And then how does that help with, I mean, innovation is the thing that entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, um, companies looking for new products, new ideas, new marketing, uh, government looking ways to go faster, better, cheaper. I mean, that's kind of like the lifeblood of the future is innovation. You know, they talk about the future of work and, you know, here we talk about the future of leadership. So tell me, how does that culture then help set us up for that future of leadership, that innovative culture? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, Part of what we look at as well um, as a DEI and a program manager is demographics. Mm -hmm. So again, when we're looking out to the future, um, we're looking at what generations do we have in the workforce? What are the different expectations that we're seeing in general in those uh, in those different generations? And then that's helping us to strategically market and recruit and also retain those employees. So we know that it costs a company money when someone leaves the company. They take knowledge with them. You have to retrain someone. So that's a huge cost that, that we're very well aware of. So the better that we can retain employees, and even if they do leave, because we know that, again, in this generation, we do have a lot more people leaving. But if they can leave but um, leave with a positive brand or a positive um, experience in your organization, that's going to help you recruit better talent. So there's multiple reasons why it's really important that the experience that employees have while they're working with you is a positive one. And again, more and more the the, the generation that's coming up, they care a lot about purpose. They care a lot about feeling like they're doing work that matters. They care about the stance that their organization takes on um on social matters. That's really important to them. They care about the culture. So we see different values 
in these upcoming generations um, than we have in the past. And that helps us change our strategies, right? So again, it's just, there's so many different aspects here, but to really create a good strategy moving forward, these are all things that we have to consider. Wow. So, I mean, this is really fascinating how to, how you frame this in. And then, you know, what it got me thinking of, and I'm curious um, how much you've started diving into the conversation on the great resignation. Um, you know, it, it's all over the the literature, the media, news articles, as, as some companies have gone back to the office, not a, not all of them went away. Right. But as a lot of companies have gone back to the office and then I think we can see that there's some other societal factors coming into play as well. Not just the, the return to the office thing. Um, but it's been called the great resignation and how, how does diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, how do you, how's that strategy help cope with what may be, um, like a mass societal movement reshaping values. Yeah, there's, again, there's so many like different aspects to it, right? Um, So one thing that we know is that a lot of women have left the workforce. Um, We have had some re-enter, but not not the full amount um, that left. And again, a lot of that was, as we talked about before, it had to do with COVID and it had to do with the fact that, again, a lot of times in our society, the brunt for uh, raising children and housework falls on, um, typically falls on women. And so with schools not being in session, there were so many contributing factors that a lot of women ended up stepping back out of the workforce. And even before COVID, uh, we knew that retention of women in the workforce, it was really important to have good work-life balance uh, initiatives and flexibility because basically what we want is we want um, we want working mothers uh, to and working fathers to be able to be in the workforce, take time to raise their kids and focus on that, but kind of stay in the workforce so that once they're ready to devote more attention and focus on work, they already have the context. They're already in the business. Like they're ready to then move that focus and move forward. And we've seen that in a lot of the studies and even in our own organization in um, the research that we've done in interviews is that when um, mothers in our workforce were allowed those job flexibilities, um, they were more committed to the organization, more willing to stay long-term, and they also made it up into much higher levels of leadership. Oh. So again, eventually we would love to see, you know, moms and dads both feeling, um, and I'm, I'm using a lot of like very gender specific terms, but parents, um, feeling really welcome to take the time that they need to live their lives and then focus on work at different times in their lives. Cause again, the new generations coming up. And I think even after COVID people now have much higher expectations for their work-life balance. And so they're, they're not willing as much to put up with um, focusing solely on work and sacrificing other, um, other things that they want in their life. They, they work to have a life. They don't work for life. And so we have to make organizations that support that, or we're either going to have incredibly disengaged people 
that are showing up to work but don't care, or we have people that leave a lot. Um, so again, this this impacts everyone. We just see it being a larger barrier oftentimes uh, to, for instance, women in the workforce. And that's why it's something that's important to address. Wow. That gives me so much to think about. And I have so many questions, but I know we have a limited amount of time. Uh, definitely have to have that work-life balance in there, right? Um, so Nicole, next time, I'm sure I'm going to ask lots of questions about how do we do X, Y, and Z, work-life balance, flexibility, all that. But what what would be one action that a, a manager or an aspiring leader can take today and start putting into practice, whoever they are? Um, what is one thing we can take away and start the journey uh, towards that that future the future leadership and um, more holistic culture? I mean, that's the goal, right? Yeah. What's the one thing? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I feel like there's so many things. Um, and I think it also really depends on where you're at in your journey. So if you are just brand new, you just learned what diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, you know, were in the last podcast, and this is something that you're trying to um, understand better, I would say you're already doing that by educating yourself. And the key is to learn more about what it is and how it impacts the business. I think that is really a great place to start and does have a lot of value. If this is something that you're already aware of and you do already have a certain level of competency, then I would say the next step is to um, understand where your people are at. And if you're at a high level of the organization, that might be a survey. You probably actually already have surveys. Um, Go look at the past results. And really, especially in this this era that we're in uh, where COVID is impacting employees, really take a look at what keeps people at your organization. So something called a stay survey. You know, what are the current barriers to morale or engagement? Why are people staying? Look at your exit interviews. Why are people leaving? If you don't have data, then your action is to go get some of that data because you got to look at the demographics of your workforce and you have to look at what things you can start to change in order to really build a strategic plan. So for me, it's hard to give like one little action because again, my mind is thinking long-term culture change. And so I like to build that foundation of, where are we at currently? Wow. I mean, I just had a, we always ask people what they don't like, but what, what makes them stay? That's a good yeah. one. Um, awesome. Well, Hey, Nicole, I want to say thank you so much. I believe this is um, a very necessary conversation. It's the literature's out there. The experts are all talking about it uh, here alongside us. Um, you know, diversity, inclusion. It's, it's all about how do we get the most um, talent, the best, raising a culture of innovation. And I'm, I'm really excited to continue this conversation. Um, so for yeah, everybody... We didn't, even, we didn't even touch on innovation. So oh, we have yeah. been more to talk about as far as the business case. So, I mean, that's the exciting thing, right? Is that there's, yeah. just, um, there's just so much when it comes to this topic and how beneficial it is. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. We, we have so much to talk about, but um, yeah. So next time for everybody who's looking to, to how to create that innovative culture and looking at all the strengths and capabilities and processes and systems of your organization, uh, make sure to tune in on your favorite podcast channel, whichever it is, or go straight to our site. I mean, you can even listen on Facebook now, Facebook Place Podcast. So it's pretty sweet. Uh, Leadership Daily, that's where we're at. And you know what? We're looking to hear back from you. So drop a comment on your favorite social platform and hashtag Leadership Daily. Um, We want to hear from you. And, you know, maybe start a good conversation for anybody who wants to get up on stage with us and we can talk about what's reality out there for you and how can you take these ideas back and put them into action? I think that's huge. So Nicole. Yeah. I'll just add one more thing. You know, there's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of content out there, but um, there's not a lot of places where you can come and ask questions. And since this is uh, complex and politically divisive, part of that is because there's different definitions and different ways people look at it. So being able to ask questions is, I think something huge that will be very beneficial. Yeah, that's super awesome. Thank you for adding that in there. Yeah. um, Ask questions. So we got Nicole here queued up to be able to ask, answer, have a call, uh, a conversation, a dialogue about this. Cause I know there's some things where I'm like, Oh, can I ask that? I don't know. Hey, Nicole, can we say this? I'm learning too, alongside all of you. So thank you. Nicole, thank you everybody for listening. Really appreciate you. And until next time. The world is changing. Life is changing. Our jobs are changing. Technology is accelerating. Our children are the future, but what future? What is coming next? And how do we need to prepare? These are the questions that drive us, that inspire us, that make us get better and bring us together. These are the questions we ask every day. How can we make the world a better place? How can we strive for better? How can our teams get better? This is Leadership Daily. Together, we are better. Together, we answer the question, what's next for the future of leadership?